Well, church, it is my great joy to continue our series in Biblical Fellowship. So the title of that series is Biblical Fellowship Going from Fringe to Core. From Fringe to Core, Biblical Fellowship. Being connected together. And so the question this morning that is hovering over us, the question that that I want you to consider initially is this. Biblical fellowship, that means our connection together as believers, how we're connected, how we relate to one another. What are the marks of a true Christian and his connection with other Christians? What are the marks of a true Christian and his connection with other Christians? So what does the Bible say? about how we connect to one another, about biblical fellowship. What does that look like here at Palm Vista Community Church? Does the Bible really talk about what that might look like? What should mark our connections as believers, our relationships with one another? Is there anything distinctive about us as God's people and how we connect, how we relate to one another? Well, I believe there is. So I'd like you to turn to Romans chapter 12 in your Bibles. Please turn there, Romans chapter 12. And we're going to be reading from verses 9 to 13. And in these verses, God reveals to us His answers to the questions that I've just posited. Please turn there so that we can explore the nature of our connection to one another. Now, we are finishing this three-part series on biblical fellowship going from fringe to core, which speaks of the the nature of our biblical fellowship. Actually, it speaks about us connecting people to one another. This is the third in this mini-series, this three-part mini-series. And it tells us what God says about connecting to one another. His thoughts on our connection to one another are clearly revealed here in Romans 12. Verses 9 to 13. As a matter of fact, the first four words of Romans 12, 9 tell us exactly God's opinion about our connection with one another. It shows us the mark of a true Christian and his connections and his relationships with others. I pray that God would give us eyes to see and hearts to believe that we can experience these kinds of connections right here at Palm Vista Community Church. I've prayed, Lord, show us. Lord, reveal to us. Lord, give us hope. Give us faith. Because you provide us with the ability to be connected this way. So, are you there? Romans 12. Let's start with verse 9. The marks of the true Christian. The marks of the true Christian's connection with one another. Romans 12, 9. Let love be genuine. There it is. Let love be genuine. Abhor or hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and to seek to show 
hospitality. Our connection to one another is to be marked by genuine love. Let love be genuine. Genuine love, a love that is sincere, a love that is non-hypocritical, is to be the mark of our connection to one another in Jesus Christ. That's God's burden in this text for us, that, that we would love one another in a way that is genuine. In fact, the main point of this passage this morning is this. Let your love for one another be genuine. Let your love for one another be genuine. That's the main point of the passage. Let your love for one another be genuine. It's what it says at the beginning of verse 9. And then what we're going to see is the rest of this text is going to show us what genuine love looks like. Now, let me give you an illustration of why it's so important that we understand what genuine love looks like. Why we connect to one another through the genuine love that God first showed us in Christ. And it should characterize our love for one another. As many of you know, I own an old car, but it's a fine car. I own a 1995 Lexus LS400, and I love driving that car. It is really smooth. It's roomy, has a sweet sunroof. But most importantly, this car was very well built, very well made. Well, recently, I had to replace the catalytic converters. After 18 years, they just wore out. And in researching the cost, I realized quickly that there are two catalytic converters that I could buy. I could buy genuine catalytic converters, which would cost me $1,500. Or I could buy aftermarket catalytic converters, which would cost me $250. I was shocked. I was intrigued. I said, why the price difference? So I went online to understand why. Here's what I found out. A genuine part is made by the original equipment manufacturer. Have you ever seen this thing called OEM? So what that means, original equipment manufacturer. That is to say, it had to be made by the original manufacturer used when building and selling the car. An aftermarket part, on the other hand, could be made by anyone who claimed to manufacture it according to the same specifications of the original equipment manufacturer. But an aftermarket part can never be a genuine part because the original manufacturer did not build it. Now, many people claim that their product, their part, was made to OEM, Original Equipment Manufacturer, specifications. But friends, it's not a genuine part. The original manufacturer did not make it. So read the fine print before you order online. I did not read the fine print before ordering online. What I did read was the large print, the price. And so I did what most of us would do on a budget, I bought the aftermarket catalytic converters for $250. Hey, when they arrived, they looked genuine to me. It's a catalytic converters right on it. I thought, hey, we're good to go. Until Richard Moreland and I crawled under my car to replace the defective genuine catalytic converters. And to my surprise and dismay, the aftermarket ones were not identical. I could immediately tell the difference. And I began to question the wisdom of buying aftermarket catalytic converters for my precious 1995 Lexus. (laughs) Friends, here's the point of the illustration. Our connection, our biblical fellowship is to be marked by genuine love 
not aftermarket love. Genuine love, not aftermarket love. As a matter of fact, look at verse 9. Paul used the Greek word agape for love in verse 9. Let love, agape is the Greek word that's translated into love. Let agape, love, be genuine. Now, for us, you may be very familiar with that if you grew up in the church, agape. That's, yeah, of course he did. Well, no, back then, of course, he did was not the thought. It was a very unusual word for love in first century non-biblical Greek literature. It's a word that Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, used a lot. Why? I believe it was to communicate the uniqueness of this love. The love we are called to have for one another, the love that marks our connection for one another, is is the love that is so unique. It's the love made by the original manufacturer, God, revealed in Christ. This is genuine love, friends. The love God the Father shared with God the Son before the foundation of the world. The love that God the Father demonstrated by sending God the Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. The love of God the Father that punished that sin, poured out wrath on that sin, on Jesus. The love of God that raised Jesus from the dead and seated him in glory at the right hand of the Father. Do you know this love? Have you experienced this love? It is only found in the original manufacturer, God, who made it with unique specifications that cannot be duplicated. As I mentioned earlier, this love began before the foundation of the world and was demonstrated when Christ was born. As a matter of fact, this love is eternal. It has no beginning. It has no end. It was demonstrated when Christ was born, what we celebrate at Christmas time. Fully God, fully man. To live this perfect life that we could never live. To die this sacrificial death and bear the wrath of God on the cross. Christ was born to die. Do not separate Christmas from Easter. Resurrection Day. He's not a cute little baby meant to be ooed at. He's the Son of God meant to die on the cross for your sins and mine. That same love then was what raised him from the dead and seated him at the the right hand of the Father in his ascension. And this is the love, this is the love of God. This is genuine love. This is what the Bible calls the gospel. As it says in 1 John 4.10, In this is love. Not that we have loved God, no. But that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation. Big word, propitiation, means the the one who would take the wrath of God, propitiate God's wrath and anger against sin, His justifiable wrath against sin, for us. To be the propitiation for our sins. Friends, If you have never experienced this love, then may I call you to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who came to bear your sins as a propitiation for your sins. Your sins need propitiating. Mine, yours, our sins incur God's righteous wrath or he would not be a loving God. Jesus bore that. 
may I, may I appeal to you right now to repent and believe in him and cry out to him for mercy based on what he did on the cross, his redemptive works. I pray that you, my friend, this morning would experience this genuine love. For only this genuine love produces the love described in the text I'm about to preach. Only this genuine love, only God's love, connects us to one another in real connections that honor God and build the church. And if you have experienced God's genuine love, you have experienced this love for one another, then I pray that you would be encouraged that God's genuine love produces in us the genuine love that we read about here, that Paul, God actually through Paul, is calling us to exhibit. He'll change us. Somehow, if I could have changed those catalytic converters that were made, I don't know where. For some reason, I got in my head Malaysia, like it was stamped on their Malaysia. Just imagine some Malaysian guy making these things, like, you know, doing a Google search, catalytic converters, and he's just like making it. And it turns out nothing like the original. And that's our lives, nothing like the original. I mean, we're made in the image of God, but we're, we're seriously flawed. When you go to connect that catalytic converter, it does not connect well. But God can transform us. He can change us. Oh, dear Christian friend, brother and sister in Christ, if your love is rooted in the genuine love of God, that love that he exhibited to us in Christ, then your love will look like his love. It'll look like genuine love, not aftermarket love. It will look like the genuine love that is described in in Romans 12, 9 to 13. It will have the same specifications as God's genuine love because It is OEM love, original equipment manufacturer love. God's eternal, glorious love made to his eternal and glorious specifications, certified by God himself, empowered by God. And as we experience God's genuine love, church, it produces in us genuine love for one another. And that is what is to mark our relationships. And that is what builds a solid God-honoring church This is God's burden for us in the text this morning. That our love for one another would be genuine. No aftermarket love, but the original. So let's take a look. What does the original look like? What does genuine love look like? This genuine love that is ours in Christ, what does it look like? Point one. Genuine love discerns wisely. Discerns wisely. Verse nine begins with the description of genuine love with another unusual Greek word apostigeo, which is translated in your Bibles, if you look there in the ESV, abhor. See that in verse 9? Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. The New American Standard Version translates that word as hate. They're synonyms. So genuine love is marked by discernment. It's discerning, wise discernment. It discerns wisely. So that genuine love is not less than sentiment and affection. Oh, no, it's not less than that. But it's more than that. It's also wise discerning, discerning wisely. It's a love that discerns wisely what is evil and hates it, abhors it, loathes it, opposes it, even as as God opposed evil when he judged his son and he, his wrath is his fixed opposition to evil. And he's a good God. He's a loving God. Therefore, he opposes evil. If you're a good, loving father, you will oppose evil if it breaks down your front door and seeks to harm your children. If you just sit there and do nothing, you're not a good father. 
A good judge will oppose evil, will judge it so that the society would be strong and healthy. Love hates evil. Genuine love does. It doesn't wink at it. It hates it. But that's only half the equation. Here's the other half. It also discerns wisely, second part of the verse 9, by holding fast or hold fast to what is good. So Paul is writing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, let love be genuine. That's the title. And now this is what genuine love looks like. And these are, these are imperatives. Let, abhor what is evil, hate what is evil, and hold fast to what is good. The, the Greek word translated hold fast has a broad range of meaning that includes sticking like glue. So genuine love that, it, that discerns wisely means that we both identify and hate evil, oppose it, loathe it, and we hold fast or cling to what is good. Does this mark your love? Have you experienced God's genuine love in Christ? God's genuine love in Christ. God hated evil. He poured out His wrath on evil at the cross when He poured His wrath out on Christ in our place. And He holds fast to what is good in His Word, His revelation, what He's given us here. Genuine love discerns wisely. Do you? Has God's genuine love produced in you wise discernment? Do you love others by hating what is evil and holding fast to what is good? Well, point two. God's genuine love produces in us a love that honors others with brotherly affection. Genuine love honors others with brotherly affection. Look at verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Here you see this genuine love that is to love one another with brotherly affection. And then it says in the second part of that verse, outdo one another in showing honor. Hence, genuine love honors others with brotherly affection. Now, it's interesting. The Greek word that we translate love in verse 10, love one another, is not the Greek word agape. No. It's a Greek word that you will recognize immediately. It's the Greek word Philadelphia. And Philadelphia, ironically so, is known as the city of what? That is very ironic indeed, because I've been there. It's a great city. I love it. I do. I love big cities that are rough and tough. It's definitely rough and tough. But Philadelphia is is this Greek word, a little more common, that we would translate brotherly affection. That's why it's translated that way here. Or there's another way you could translate this little phrase. Be devoted to one another in love. Be devoted to one another in love. So our genuine love, produced by the genuine love of God, is to be a love where we are devoted to one another in love. Here's a question for you. To what are you devoted? Yourself? Your career? Your beautiful face, your work, your agenda. See, God's genuine love in us produces a devotion to one another in brotherly love. What does that look like? Well, the second half of the verse tells us. It looks like outdoing one another and showing honor. Verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection, period, 
outdo one another in showing honor. What in the world does that mean? What does it mean to outdo one another in showing honor? You go first. Oh, no, no, you go first. Oh, no, no, you go first. No, please, you. No, that's not what it means. See, honoring others, being devoted to one another in brotherly love, outdoing one another in showing honor means that we esteem others more highly than ourselves. What? We actually let that person merge on the palmetto without thinking evil thoughts about them. Okay, Al, where do you get that one? How do you interpret here that outdoing one another and showing honor means that? Well, let's take a look at another one of Paul's writings inspired by the Holy Spirit. Let's look at Philippians 2, verses 3 through 9. Listen to this. Listen listen carefully for this phrase, count others more significant than yourselves. Listen to the unique OEM love that is revealed by Christ in this passage. Do nothing from selfish ambition. That's my agenda. My agenda, get out of my way. I'm doing 60. Yellow means accelerate. I'm going through this light. Okay? You just talk to people when they can serve your agenda. If not, you move on to the next guy. Don't do that. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But here's what we do because we've experienced God's genuine love in Christ. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Guys, that's revolutionary. That's OEM love. That love was not produced here on earth, trust me. That's God's love. Let each of you look not only, not only, you can look after your interests, I got it, but not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind in yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. You know what that means? That means this isn't a love I have to produce. This isn't a love that I have to try to accomplish to get God's approval. No, this is the love that is now mine because I've been transformed from an aftermarket dude to an OEM dude or dudess in your case. We've been transformed. This is who we are. This is our new identity in Christ. It produces this in us because this is who we are. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who? Here we go. Here's love, friends. This is very similar to what we read in 1 John 4.10, about Jesus coming as a propitiation for our sins. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. This is what we celebrate. This is, this is Christmas. God became a man. Still fully God, now fully man. And being found in human form... Oh, friends, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Do you know this love? This is the love that produces in you genuine love. See, genuine love counts others more significant than oneself and is devoted to them, not just looking to one's own interests, but also to their interests, just as Jesus did in this passage in Philippians 2. And this is the genuine love that Jesus' love produces in us. This is the genuine love that marks our connection with one another. Now, friends, it takes many forms. I understand that. And so many of you, by the way, practice this kind of love. But you know what? I joked about it earlier, but one of the practical forms for me, and I found that change is in the details. So I often change in the little things in life. And for me, a little thing in life is driving in Miami. Because I have an agenda, and usually I'm just driving at 1,000 miles an hour with my hair on fire because I'm running to some appointment somewhere. I'm hoping I'm not late. So it, it can take the form of being courteous when I drive. 
It could take the form of waiting patiently at Latin American Cafe like I did this morning when I called in the order for the coffee for the worship team and little breakfast we get for the custodian and I'm anticipating getting there, getting it, boom, gone. And like 13,000 people were getting coffee at the same time that morning. So I had to wait for the guy in front of me as he ordered coffee and pastelitos for all his friends and then talked with the waitress, flirted with the waitress. So genuine love looks like, okay, this is radical. Those guys are more significant than me. I mean, friends, I wasn't born that way. I don't know about you, okay? I'm thinking the most significant person here is right here, me. Can I actually think that this person is more that their agenda and what they want to do is more important? That's radical, guys, but it's what Jesus did. Do you get that? Now, let me tell you what genuine love does not look like. It looks like meeting with others only when you want to share an agenda item with them. My dear friend, Marcos Gonzalez, recently asked me a very humble, kind question. There was no accusation. It was, he and I have been friends for many, many, many years. Marcos, my brain's gone, maybe over 15 years. Um, and he just said, hey, Al, he, know I, he knows I struggle with this. How you doing with just kind of, you know, just meeting with people when you have something you need to talk to them about, which is appropriate. As a pastor, I have to talk to a lot of people. I want to talk to a lot of people, but... How are you doing with just settling down and being with people just to be with them without an agenda item? Ouch. But you know what? Marcos was kind to me because of our deep friendship, because of the bridges built. I needed to hear that. I needed to hear what he had to say, and I needed to repent of some aftermarket love in my life. We all do, because it doesn't build the church. It doesn't build the church. Point three. Genuine love serves enthusiastically. Look at verse 11. Here we read something very curious. Do not be slothful. You know what a sloth is? Laziness. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. So it's a command here. God's love in Christ produces in us a love that isn't lazy or slothful, but is zealous, that serves the Lord. Now, lacking zeal, here in verse 11, is a warning that now introduces the final aspects of what genuine love looks like through verse 13. So it kind of, it's a header, okay? And zeal is very important. Zeal is a character quality that is very important to God. It, It marks our genuine love. It's one of those specifications in the OEM part that you won't find in the aftermarket part. Not true zeal. Not true zeal. Because when you're serving because you have an agenda item, you probably lack joy. You're probably pushing people pretty hard. Even as I say these words, I'm tremendously convicted over the years. You're probably snapping the whip. Zeal, true zeal for good and God. Disinterested zeal. Not just looking after your own interest zeal. Can only be produced by God's genuine love as it bears fruit in me. And changes me. Changes me. And this is the kind of love we need to have. Zealous love. See, this is what I call the enthusiasm factor. This is what I call do I really care factor. 
This is what I call, am I invested in this church factor? This is what I call, do I own this community group as my own factor? This is the stuff that's produced only by God's love. Don't look after your own interests, but also the interests of others. God's genuine love produces in us this kind of zeal, enthusiasm, and ownership of others' agendas, others' burdens, others' goals, and of what benefit others, what can benefit others, and ultimately what brings glory to God. Rather than simply living for myself, this is what Jesus did. He became poor that we could be rich. He left the glory he had with the Father in the heaven to come here and live in a non-glorious world and experience our pain. He's has that glory again as he's prayed in John, but he did that for us. Do you know that love? This is what genuine love looks like, and it's the only love that will truly, church, connect us to one another. It's the only love that will connect you as a, as a married couple, connect you as a family, connect you in whatever organization you're in. This is the love that connects, good connections, solid connections, that cannot be broken, no matter what comes. It is the love that is described here in verse 11b as fervent in spirit. God's genuine love gives us the grace to stir ourselves up, to be fervent in spirit. Face it, 7.30 Sunday morning, sometimes you're not the most fervent in spirit. (laughs) But it stirs me up to want to come and serve and care. and, 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 And God says here, maintain your enthusiasm. That's what it says here. When it says there... um, Spirit, when it says here, be fervent in spirit, that's what it's saying. Maintain your enthusiasm by the love that God has given you. Don't give in to cynicism, to complaining, to lethargy, to laziness. I don't know about you, but if I'm driving the car of my life, if I take my hands off the wheel, there's something still wrong in the steering. It tends to pull right over there. Some of you, it'll pull more toward laziness, some to cynicism, some to complaining. But God's love produces in us zeal, true zeal. He calls us to maintain this zeal. The world dulls our spirits and our zeal. And I was driving home from the wedding last night. I got the phone call this morning. It's a joy to bear the burdens that I bear. I really is. But there are just days when my zeal is just going... And what I think will help me, what I think will deal with that weariness is to just veg out in front of ESPN.com for hours to read why the SEC is the best conference in college football. <laughs> to, yeah, or, or, or some to just watch a movie all day. I mean, you know, just spend all day, you know, like on a Saturday, you know, like New Year's Day, just, just overdosing on watching football. But you know what happens to me at the end of that? I think I'm doing it to get some relief, and I'm more lethargic, not encouraged, than when I started. So they said, it's a lie. <laughs> there is no nutrients in that. You will not be encouraged by that, but you will be encouraged by thinking about the love of God in Christ, and that love, which is my new life, then produces in me zeal. The world mocks zeal. The world says, be cool, be cynical, be selfish. Don't give yourself to something or someone fully. Don't be a fool. They're just playing you. No, no, you play it safe. Don't get involved. Don't get too involved. Don't be a fanatic. Don't get too committed. It's going to rip you off. That's not genuine love. That's aftermarket love. 
So what? They ripped me off. Jesus came knowing he'd get ripped off. He came to be ripped off in our place. Not by God, but by man, to be rejected by man. And then to receive the wrath of God. That love is my life. And it produces in me genuine love that looks like enthusiastic zeal. That doesn't just, you know, listen, enthusiastic zeal doesn't just mean rah-rah, cheerleader type people that are loud like me. There's nothing wrong with that. Genuine love, zeal is that, but it's more than that. It's more than that, church. It's being fully invested, passionate, in quiet ways, like my wife, who is serving in children's ministry this month. And many of you that serve in children's ministry, and none of us ever know it. I kind of wanted to tell you that, because you might be wondering, gee, did Desi leave the church? I haven't seen her for a while. She did not leave the church. She's in children's ministry. Or, Or Cassie Strauss, who just always serves quietly, elegantly. She is. She, she, she's just, that's just the kind of servant she is. She just doesn't draw attention herself. Or Nestor and Maite Quiroz. You don't know. Some of you may not even know Nestor and Maite. They just serve quietly, elegantly. Think of so many. The Mendezes, the Herreros. I think of the ladies that are back there serving for the children's worship. I think of the Beechams. Now, you wouldn't know Gary was there because he's a quiet man. You wouldn't know he's there because he's a very tall man. These are people that serve quietly. Like Ashley and Patrick. But they're passionate. They're quietly passionate. And they're intense. When I think of intensity, one man in this church comes to mind. It's my man Zeke. Have you ever looked into Zeke's eyes when he's really talking to you about something that he's passionate about? It's a little intimidating. Why? Because it matters to Zeke. He's our worship leader. It matters to him. And he's intense. He's not a super loud guy, but he's intense. Those eyes are boring in on you. That's what God's genuine love produces in us. I care. And I care about something beyond just me and my little world. It means selflessly owning someone else's vision, namely God's, and working to serve others. See, 11C, look at 11C. When it says there, serve the Lord... Serve the Lord is the call to serve one another. This quote here by Colin Cruz in his excellent commentary on Romans says the following. Believers' service to the Lord, he's commenting on this phrase, was not restricted to such things as preaching and teaching, but also, was also performed when they acted lovingly towards one another, when they carried out their everyday obligations faithfully. Oh, friends, zealous men and women. You know, there's nothing splashy. You don't get to come up here and yell and scream and dance around for 35, 40 minutes and have everybody go, oh, great sermon now. You're not known, but every day, every day you are faithful to your obligations. You get up, you go to work, you care for your children, you do devotions, you love the person, you let the person in on the palmetto, you do wait patiently, you actually smile at the waitress when you get to the window after you've waited more than time than you wanted to wait. You are the heroes. You, genuine love, is working in you. Oh, and it's building this church and it's knitting us together. I thank you so much and God is so pleased with you. Think of Enzo getting here every morning, Sundays, early. 
Daniela, Brandon, just serving, setting up. Are you zealously serving your brother and sister? Point four. Genuine love. The love that God's genuine love produces in us, the OEM love, is joyful in hope. Look at verse 12. Rejoice in hope. So, genuine love is joyful in hope. It rejoices in hope. The hope in which genuine love is joyful is the glory of God revealed in the gospel of Christ. So, if genuine love, if it's marked by by joyful and being joyful in hope in what does it hope it hopes in the glory of god it hopes in the genuine love that it has received in christ and it sees the glory of god in the face of christ where do you see that al i see that in romans 5 an earlier passage in this letter that paul wrote look at romans 5 1 and 2 therefore since we have been justified by faith that's the gospel Since we have been justified by faith, since we know this genuine love, do you know it? I come back to that. If you're here as an unbeliever, I want you to know it. Since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. Through him, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Mike Pincus last night was suffering, could barely talk. He's blind. He can't see me. He's reaching his hand out. Al, is that you? I hear your voice. And then he's talking about heaven. If you know Mike, he has a tremendous sense of humor. He was cracking jokes. Maybe when I get up there, it'll say temporary clothes for renovations or something. <laughs> and I read to him the passage in Revelation says, it never closes, Mike. And he, he was laughing. He says, I'm going to go and prepare the way for you there, Al. I'll make sure that you know, everything's okay. And, and, I mean, you know, we're crying, we're laughing. We're... Where does that hope come from? It comes from God. It's a hope in His glory. Our rejoicing is in the hope of God's glory in the midst of our own often non-glorious world. God's glory shines brightly in the face of Christ our Savior. God's genuine love produces in us a hope in God's glory that perseveres patiently in the midst of trials and tribulations. Point five. Here's another mark of the genuine love that is ours in Christ. Genuine love perseveres in tribulation. Look at verse 12b. Be patient in tribulation. Be patient in tribulation. Tribulation is suffering. Tribulation is is, is opposition. Maybe at work it's suffering like Mike's suffering in his body. It's persecution, which maybe we'll experience and others have experienced. Now, it's interesting. Colin Cruz, in his commentary, says the following. The word translated be patient means to maintain one's belief or course of action in the face of opposition. That is to say, to stand one's ground, to hold out or to endure. God's genuine love produces in us the hope of His glory that enables us to stand our ground and persevere in tribulation and suffering because we see the glory of God that awaits us. You know what Mike Pincus believes this morning? He believes what it says in 2 Corinthians 4.17. We talked about it. This is what Mike believes. 2 Corinthians 4.17. For this light momentary affliction, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. 
the glory of God, the glory of the resurrection, the glory of Jesus raising from the dead is bigger than this cancer that has eaten this man's body and his mind, has blinded him. It's that glory that he sees. And maybe he sees it clearer than you and I. Though he's blinded, maybe he does. Do you see it? That is what helps me persevere, friends. God's genuine love sees that glory and enables us to stand in our, our ground in the face of opposition, the opposition from our own flesh, the opposition from the world, the opposition from Satan. This is the glory of God. And we stand in this glory by, by prayer. Prayer. Prayer that cries out to God. Point six, genuine love perseveres in prayer. Look at verse 12c. Be constant in prayer. Be constant in prayer. Because because Paul knew God's genuine love in Christ, he persevered in prayer. And in the same way, as we know God's love in Christ, we persevere in prayer. It produces in us persevering prayer. Or as it says here, we are people who are constant in prayer. I grabbed a book off my shelf that I'm meaning to go over here in the next couple of weeks. It's by D.A. Carson. It's a book that he wrote entitled, A Call to Spiritual Reformation, Priorities from Paul and His Prayers. And it's a book where where Carson takes a look at some of Paul's prayers, and he kind of works through some of Paul's prayers, because Paul prayed all the time. It'd be a good study for you to do. See, Paul prayed for the churches. Paul prayed for the saints. Paul prayed for grace to speak the Word of God boldly in evangelism. Paul prayed in the Spirit. Paul prayed for help in weakness. Paul prayed, and he trusted God And he trusted God to help him pray. I didn't know what to pray this morning. I didn't know what to pray last night with Mike. What do you pray? He and I have prayed so much. What do you pray when a man is dying on his bed? What do you pray? Well, you know what? You cry out. You cry out and you trust God that He's going to show us how to pray by the Spirit. Romans 8, 26 to 27. Same book. Book of Romans, Romans 8, 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Praise God. We're people of the Spirit. Pneumatikos. We're new creations. We have the Spirit of God in us teaches us how to pray. We persevere in tribulation and opposition. We stand firm in prayer. That's what God's genuine love produces in us. And as God's genuine love produces in us, persevering prayer, we grow in our generosity toward one another. Final mark of God's genuine love. Verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to, go, to show hospitality. God's generous love toward us then produces in us a genuine love toward one another that generously gives of our time, that generously gives of our talents, that generously gives of our treasures. We're not a stingy people, but we're a generous people. I'm not stingy with my acceptance of people that are different than me. I'm not stingy with my money or my talents. I'm not stingy with my time. I give generously because that's what God's generous love produces in me. Listen, verse 13a is very clear. It speaks of contributing to the needs of the saints. This is always in the Bible speaking of financial 
and material resources that we release to help the saints. All through the epistles, Paul calls true believers to contribute to those who are without. In Rome, the Gentile believers, listen, he wrote this to the Roman church. The Roman church had experienced something called the Edict of Claudius Caesar, where he had evicted all the Jews out of Rome because he was crazy and he was opposing God's people. And so many of those Jewish people were Christians, so they lost everything. He evicts them out of Rome, and now they're coming back to Rome. And Paul is saying, you've got genuine love from God. He became poor that you might become rich. Now, when these Christian Jewish brothers, you Gentile Christians, when these Jewish Christians come back, have them in your home for a while so that your love would shine as genuine OEM love in a world of aftermarket love. And the Romans say, what are these people about? He's got his dream home. And he's got two other families living with him. That's awkward. We only have one bathroom. Reminds me of what happened in my family in 1961. Now, granted, I was only five years old, but I do have some memories. But I talked to my mom this morning, or last night about it, my 89-year-old mother. And I said, Mom, tell me about the year that my cousins, Carlos and Pedro, lived with us in 1961. She said, well, Al, it started with they were just going to live with us a few weeks because their parents, Carlos and Hortensia, were going to be released from Cuba. And it ended up being over a year. And, and I said, well, how was it, Mom? And she said, it was, it was tough. We went from three to five. I have a brother and a sister. Um, there was no help. There was no help from the government at that time. Nothing. There was my dad's salary as a milkman. Worked for MacArthur Dairies. My mom did not work at that time. And there was just love, genuine love, that my mom exhibited toward my cousins. And um, they didn't speak English. She said, my brother, my older brother, my, older, my brother's 10 years older than I, so he was 15, helped them with their English because they immediately were immersed. And back in 61, Miami was not a Latin city. Trust me. <laughs> it was a sleepy little southern city with a bunch of New Yorkers and a significant Jewish population. But highly, a racetrack was as southern as you could get in 61. So Cubans were not like, oh. No, no. They were the weirdos. And my brother took... Carlos and Pedro to school and helped teach them English and help them with their school. Uh, you know, both of these guys now, I mean, they, their careers just rocketed. They're both honor grads from University of Florida, University of Miami, and uh, <laughs> engineers and in the world's eyes have succeeded. And I remember, man, that they lived in Alapata all by themselves. Six months after their parents got here, their father died. And my aunt, my aunt Ordensia, who still lives in Hialeah, she's 96, went to work in a factory. Yeah, I know a lot of you got these stories. Cubans are not particularly unique in that. That's what I love about Miami. There's so many stories like this. But my aunt went to work in a factory in Hialeah. You know, and uh, those kids, they, they raised themselves in Alapata. Uh, I digress. So generous love opened your home up. They were, they were strangers to me. All I knew is now I had three other people sleeping in my bedroom. My sister had to sleep in the living room. They put partitions up. That's where she slept. That's what I knew. <laughs> what is going on here? Who are these people? But God's genuine love generously gave us Christ. He became poor that we might become rich. And if we know this genuine love, then it produces in us, friends, a generosity that astounds the watching world. Thank you, church. Many of you are generous. Oh, you give so generously. You give to the mission. You give of your time. Thank you. Your generous love, it's astounding to the world. They're watching. 
I talk to people all the time that mention that about this church. We give. We give in practical ways. We give in hospitality. Listen, by the way, hospitality is a big deal in the New Testament. It's a big deal. You know that leaders in the church, are to, if they don't practice hospitality, they can't be leaders. A leader is to be hospitable. And I, I want you to just know something here. Hospitality defined biblically is the process by means of which an outsider's status is changed from stranger to guest. It is not something a person provides for family or friends, but for strangers. Now, it includes that. But this idea back then was that someone would come through your town. They didn't have Hotel 6. They didn't have Courtyard of Marriott back then. Travelers needed a place to stay. Hospitality was often taking them in. Strangers. How can we be hospitable to strangers? Both outside the church and in the church. Folks seated right next to you right now, or maybe they're seated on the other side of the auditorium from you, you don't know them very well, and you don't even know some of their names. And we're in the same church. Oh, my friends, God's genuine love wants to connect us. Wants to change us. How does it do that? What's the mark of this connection? Hospitality. How do we do that? There are many ways, and I trust God will birth ideas, even now. But let me share with you one. And this is the major application from the text that I'd like you to consider. And that way is called Dinner for Eight. Dinner for Eight. It's the title that I gave this message. And Dinner for Eight captures one way that genuine love can connect people that are kind of strangers And that's through hospitality. It involves, shockingly, dinner for eight. Eight people, whether it's four couples, whatever, it's it's you know, just dinner for eight, where they would share an evening of fun and fellowship. Now here's here's the unique part. And by the way, Alan and Lloyda Cook are going to be serving as administering this effort. You'll find them at a table when you leave today to sign up. Uh, Here's the deal. What we thought we'd do is we'd take six times between January and July, so every other month, January, March, May, and July. We would schedule a day. We're looking at a Friday night. The first one that we we have on the the calendar is January 10th. I know there's a few other things going on in the church. We're big enough now that we can't avoid that fully. But January 10th, and the idea is this, that, that you would pray and you would say, Lord, what are you talking to me about? That genuine love, your love has changing me so that I want to exhibit genuine love that shows hospitality to others. So we'd ask you to pray about that and then sign up. What we're looking for is two things. Number one, a host. So a host family would say, hey, we can have it in my home, and the host is responsible for the main dish. And then the other uh, six people would provide the sides and beverages, and you know, that would all be coordinated. Alan Lloyd will be working on that. But you would sign up, and then we would just sort of like put you together with some folks. <laughs> I know. I know, it's a little bit uncomfortable, it's a little bit unknown, but if hospitality is what God's genuine love produces in us, does it or does it not? Are we real? Are we genuine or are we OEM? Are we OEM or are we aftermarket? If that's what it produces in us, hospitality to strangers, or at least to those we may not know very well, then would God's love in you produce a desire to get to know others here in the church, I I think also outside the church? Great way to invite other people to come in. What we do well upon Vista is we love to party and eat. 
Did you notice worship this morning? I mean, we, there was a huge wedding last night, and we were dancing, some serious dancing. And we, we were, like, moving, okay? And I was laughing, because, man, when, when AJ was just grooving it with the electric guitar and the drums was, and Brendan, man, and Roxanne, was, she was dancing, okay? I don't know if you just saw that. I was like, yeah. Well, we do that. A lot of us are from Latin culture or a culture that's a little more expressive in that area. We do this well. So let's do what we do well in front of a watching world to people that maybe we don't know that well. That's the part that genuine love produces in us. And we have fun together. And we connect to one another together. So Alan and Lloyd will be in the hallway. Please sign up. We're going to provide more details in our digital bulletin called Informed. Here's the appeal, guys, as we close. As you have experienced God's genuine love, so let your love for one another be genuine. Because it's only genuine love, the genuine love of God in us and through us for one another that properly fits together God's people and God's church so that the church would be healthy and strong and on mission with the gospel. A light to the Gentiles? This is us. Only genuine love fits us together to do that. My Lexus was very well built in 1995. It was the premier line in Lexus in 95. It was well built with the original equipment manufacturer. But I can tell you that those aftermarket catalytic converters that I bought online, those non-genuine catalytic converters, did not fit well. They leaked. Non-genuine, hypocritical, insincere, aftermarket love fits badly and leaks profusely. Aftermarket love won't build a solid church. But God's genuine love, experienced by us every day in Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, we preach to ourselves and we share and we revel in and all the grace of God. God's grace produces in us genuine love. Genuine love that fits us together beautifully, that connects us to one another in snug fits that produce fruitful ministry for His glory. Let's pray. Lord, I ask you that... um, the grace in this passage would be the the banner over this passage. I ask, Lord, that the genuine love of Jesus Christ for us would be the banner over this passage. I, I pray that the glory of God seen in the face of Christ would be what propels us, what, 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 what encourages us, what gives us zeal, what, what makes us able to honor one another and outdo one another in honor, what, what connects us in, in serving one another, what keeps us praying constantly what fuels the hospitality, even towards strangers or people we don't know very well or perhaps aren't as comfortable with. May the genuine love of God in Christ produce in us that genuine love for one another and connect us as a church. Come, Lord Jesus. Come to your people in the power of your spirit. Build your church and may the gates of hell not prevail against it. Amen.